You're listening to Colored Commentary, a Threaded podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Threaded and the ways to support and donate to this organization, check out wearethreaded.org. Now, here's the show. How you doing, everybody? It is another episode of Colored Commentary. Colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, culture, and race. I am your host, Marcus Lloyd, and with me as always, our other host, Antoine Malone. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, everybody, man? This is a, this is a good episode. I'm happy. I, well, you, we haven't even done it yet. I'm hyped, though. I can see that. Get the hype happening I'm not immediately comfortable with this with much With me hypeness. being hyped? I'm the hype one. I'm usually the chill one. Okay. okay. I guess I'll take the role then. No, and, no, and, no, well, no. Stay hyped. That's all right. All right. We're going to get hyped, hyped because we're not, hyped. You know, we, we usually have our little banter, but nope. we, we have a guest on the show that's been on the show so many times that they might as well be a co-host. He may as well be part of the thing. He's yeah, he might as well be a co-host. Co-host exactly. today, so he's, we're gonna put him in the banter section of <laughs> of the the podcast. Right. You guys have seen him and heard him before. He is a prolific uh, <laughs> pastor, uh, podcast host, documentarian, Producer. the uh, illustrious mm. uh, and not so elusive uh, mm, Russell man, the myth. Barry. The legend. Wow. What's up, Russell? I'll Come on you. in. What's up, baby? Thank y'all so much. I want to. I, I want to get to know myself better after hearing that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's yes. like, who is they? Who looking, are they introducing? Around, like, looking is there for somebody else? else? What's happening around here? That's hilarious, man. Good to see you, Russell. How you? Do, how you feeling up there uh, in the New York land these yes. days? Yeah, Brooklyn's in the house. Yeah, and, come on, Brooklyn. Uh, All right, it's Brooklyn in the house. You got yes, a kind of an right. interesting thing to deal with. Mm. Uh, being in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. but also being a Philadelphia 76ers yes. fan. So when we're recording, yeah. so just for the audience, the audience is going to nope. get this podcast uh, uh. just to, like a week before Juneteenth because yeah. we're prepping. Okay. But we're yeah. recording so this. Some games are yet to play. Yeah. So this is we're gonna then. we're gonna do some picks here so that the, so that it will be Uh-oh. set Uh-oh. Uh, by that Uh-oh. particular time uh, in that time. So you're in a, Russell. You're in a, you're in a hard place, man. You got the Knicks to deal with uh, yes. and the and the 76ers. But I know you're a 76ers guy, right? Yes. 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 And um, let's just let me just go ahead and say this before you begin with whatever you have prepared. For this, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> two two games ago, I was sick. I was like, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm gonna have to have Rasul Barry on this show after they went out and trounced. Uh, after after oh, yeah, Sixers right. went out there without yeah, yeah. Embiid and yeah. won and won with uh, I was James like, Harden oh with man, Rasul's gonna be insufferable when we get him mm. on here Friday. Mm. And then game two. Mm-hmm. How many hey, points did they lose by? I, was it thirty? It was something like that. I don't know. Or was that the Lakers game? Yeah. Okay, I, to, I can't tell. Everybody Harden. looked. Yeah. So how you? So how you feeling over there? I mean, that was a, that was yeah. a, it was an up and down. You had him. You didn't have him. Embiid, and now, then you had him. And I yeah. mean, what's going on? Hey, this is what I'm saying. All right. If you told me a week ago yeah. you're going to go up in Boston and you're going to split mm. and take away home court advantage, yeah. and you got home court advantage. With the MVP of the year, yep, I'm gonna feel good about that. I'm gonna take those chances. So, right. you know, so this you is what they did. You just need one or two. Out of, out you just of, need one. And yeah. see, this is what people don't realize, right? You know, we're playing chess right now. Uh, if by putting Embiid back into the lineup when he's, you know, this injury, yeah, he's you know, not 100. percent No, right? He's supposed to be out for another couple of weeks. By inserting him into that lineup early, 
you get him to get he hadn't worked out in over a week because you know we made light work of the brooklyn nets right so wow. we swept them so it's, we were just sitting there so you start getting lazy while boston was fighting for its life against you know what i mean uh the atlanta hawks so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so he you know we needed to get the rust off so he went up there you know, he, you know, did his thing, got got a little workout in, you know what I mean? Just kind of. Is that what it was? Flowing. It was, was just, just a, a, a run through. He got just cardio to get up. loose. Just that, was get loose. that was cardio. That, see, they thought it was a game. We, in our mind, was like, yo, we just get my man on the treadmill. Oh, my God. So he, you know, so we don't care about the score. We got the, we got the win we needed. So now. Is that know, what they're saying now? Is that what the is that what the radio host did they give you that? In Philly? Is that what is this? I'm the, just saying. The, 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 yeah. What if you if you if you get one game on the road, you already up. True that. That's all I'm saying. It don't matter. Look, you lose by thirty, you lose by one. It's still an L. So Um, you know, you get back up. This the way you feel about the uh, the Lakers and the Golden State as well. Then you think you think the Lakers on no. In that case, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We found it. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening. I was listening to this this track and uh thought I thought okay. So what if it'll play on this? Let's see if he play over here too. See what you think about this Golden State. That's a little bit different. How's how's that different? Because it's not your team, eh? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad we're fandom. Let me just say this for the people. All right. Let's go. You know, and I borrowed this from my brother justin gibbony uh shout out to president and campaign gotcha and he has this what he calls um his uh sports tribalism theorem Hmm. and it basically works like this as opposed to like we are naturally tribalistic people human humans are right and unfortunately that tends to work itself out in destructive ways in our politics right in our ethnic divisions in our even religious spaces and faith spaces and so the one place that it, it actually is therapeutic and, and not destructive is to channel it into sports. See, if I just come up with irrational reasons for justifying a political position, mm-hmm. would that harm someone? If, right. I, if I just like my tribe and hate your tribe, yeah. you know, from a from a denominational standpoint, well, that creates problems, mm. right? Or if I see you and you look different from me because of our skin tone. But if you wear the other person's jersey, and I'm like, yo, I'm repping team Sixers yeah. and you are repping team Lakers. I don't have to have a reasonable explanation for why <laughs> I think my squad is superior to yours. Okay. I can actually ignore all of the you know facts of the contrary okay. and just passionately rep who I'm repping. Sure. And that's a good place to channel it. So that's the reason. There is no reason. Okay. The reason is they over there on yeah. the West Coast and their uh-huh. fans, you talk about insufferable. Oh, Lakers fans, so boy. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. They just well, too much sometimes. Yeah. And so I enjoy seeing them get brought down a peg, and uh, and the Warriors put that thing on them. Mm-hmm. I think that that I think I have picked the Warriors in six before the series started. Uh, I'm holding to that. Okay. And uh, and you know who knows you might be a, a Warriors Sixers final. How about that? You know what I mean? Hey, so, I'm here we'll for that too. Okay. We'll I'm here for that too. That'd now, be interesting. I'm just saying. Here's... The last time the Sixers had an MVP. That was Allen Iverson in two thousand one, and you know where we ended up in the finals. Okay, so, we'll um, let see. me just let me just comment on one thing. That was a that was a Kobe uh, invitation, but I'm not. Gonna, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not I, I do smelled it. it. I thought <laughs> this is not going to get good. Not going to do it. I, I I find it fascinating that you're talking about the channeling the tribalism towards sports 
cannot be destructive. I find it ironic. Out of Philly. That he's you're in Philadelphia <laughs> and that I'm sitting next to a Raiders fan. Like hey. I, just, I feel mm. like the this Raiders. is like complete irony right here. The two like most dangerous yeah. entities. Now now I will say this. Sports. This is you know, Raiders fans like Philly, we talk Raiders fans are about that life. Like, like, you know what I mean? There's been folks, there have been people that caught bodies up in the Oakland Coliseum. Hey, like, we don't, that, that's been different. Bro, you know I wasn't I mean? even trying to go to a home game. Like, forget it. I was waiting yeah. wait for them to come to Dallas. I don't want to go to Oakland yeah, when they were yeah. in Oakland. Well, no, you'd be safe. That. You'd be in your jersey. Just don't wear any other jersey. You know yeah, what I'm saying? No, like, any other know, jersey. You never know. Yeah. At the context, get the spillage. you know. Oh, my gosh. You get the context, bro. Oh, okay. You know what kind of smoke I'm talking about. Okay, all right. <laughs> I gotta ask you this one. Then. Yeah, yeah. You know, you were you were putting me on a hot seat. Oh, um, here we go. Now, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, don't do it. I know. I you're mean, you're a Mavericks fan, uh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, I should so, ask you. I can't believe I didn't ask you this before. So, now. like, what? I mean, the way I'm looking at this, you know, okay, okay they got Kyrie. <sighs> it's about to go down. I was shocked. I'm gonna be honest. I was we, surprised it, that yeah. they didn't even make the play. In. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let me just ask you, like, what's your take and do you think you want Kyrie to come back next season? I didn't want Kyrie to come this season. Okay, for all of but that. You're here now. I mean, that's that's it's for all right, of that. But if he leaves now, you you didn't already got I rid know, of Dinwiddie I know. and, and, and Finney Smith. So that's do it. you want him to walk for nothing? No, I do want him to it? play. I do want him to play. Uh, okay. I want the off season, and I want to see if he can make it work in the locker room. Uh, and see what it comes to. God. I want to see it play out because it seems like it should work, you know. And which yeah. is which has happened many times, uh, particularly in basketball, where you get some of these not quote unquote super teams, but the the Mavericks have ne- have never had an opportunity to even smell like a super team unless by accident. So right. the fact that we can even try it out a little bit, I'm just interested to see how the Mavericks uh, front mm-hmm. office handles it, how the locker room handles it. Uh, I'm just curious and how the fans handle it, honestly. So yeah, I'd like to see him play. Me too. I think he should come back. They only had what? They had half a season, less than half a season. Less than half. And they both got injured at different times. I think they probably played less than fifteen games together. Right. So teams 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 take full seasons sometimes to to find the right chemistry, figure out how they can play together. So um it's premature, I think, to to think that it's a failed Look experiment. Look at y'all sounding like rational fans. <laughs> well, not, but we, here's the thing. I'm not won, a Mavs fan. No, yeah. But yeah. but um, but I was intrigued by the two working together. And so there's a part of me thinking like, okay, if he's coming, yeah. um, what what do you know? You move into GM mode now. You're like, okay, we it's not what we got; it's what we need. Okay, so we gave up these defenders. Sure. So and then so, lost the rest of the game. Yeah, so, so now you got go a better and, pick. Well, just you know. let's lock these two down. Like the question shouldn't be about them. We know what they have. In my opinion, the thing is, what do we need to put around them? And we need that they need that defensive uh, because they are they are trash on defense. Yeah, a trash yeah. right right now on defense. So they need to they need to get defenders. Um, and some key uh, key support players. And so I don't know what the cap looks like. I hadn't looked at it. But I feel like right. that's where the conversation needs to be. Uh, I know they gave they gave that – they gave it away to New York. Was it New York? No, uh, no. Well, no, Jalen Brunson walked – you mean Jalen Brunson? Yeah. No, yeah, 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 the Knicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they didn't sign Brunson. And, and he's then, looking but like they Jordan traded, out there yeah. this year. Yeah. Uh, playoffs. Benny yeah. Smith. 
And yeah. um, but they gave away like these quality to the Nets to Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah, they gave away these good culture fit. What felt like yeah. now in retrospect, good Maverick culture fit players that they weren't superstars, but they made the thing work. So we need to refine a few few more of them. Um, and then and then Kyrie and uh, Luca, they just need to have a conversation about <laughs> about who's gonna do what. You know, um, but I don't know. I think it can work. I don't know. I don't know if it's a championship thing. It's not. But uh, at the moment, it's certainly not. But if you can put the right players, maybe. Uh, But anyway, it's a a thing. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's always about finding the right players, having the right good conversations. You know, it's kind of like making a documentary. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? You got to make sure as you're putting it together that you are finding the right people to make it come alive and and, and making sure you got the right team. It's like a documentary. It's kind of like a documentary, you know? (laughs) You got lots of people that you got to interview, uh, and you got to put the story together so that it's uh, intriguing and interesting. I wonder and why we're talking. Uh, we're about talking documentary. about documentary oh, because, because yes, <laughs> people are like, "Is this a basketball show, or are we going to talk <laughs> right, about something?" Right. No, I'm I'm down. They like it's always good. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the documentary because we we have this this uh, if I can say like this this relatively popularly new holiday. Uh, that uh, has been given to us in the last couple of years, not us as the people on this call, but to the United States. I don't want to, I don't want to push it in the wrong direction. I'm trying to go the opposite of that. Uh, given to the United States, uh, which is the celebration of Juneteenth, June 19th, mm. uh, 1865, uh, when the, or excuse me, 18, sorry, yeah, 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 1865, take it over that, yeah, uh, when the slaves in uh, in uh, Texas found out that uh, they were free uh, slaves and th- not the slave owners though, but the slaves <laughs> found out that they were sli- that they were free. And we have Rasul who made an amazing documentary about this uh, moment in history, and then also extended even beyond just that moment to uh, some of the ways in which the the church played a part in this, uh, mm. um, the culture in and of itself played a part, and what it was like. And and so Rasul, I, I you know we. We are doing an event for for Threaded in which we're we're, we're watching this uh, this documentary. We're gonna have some discussion around it. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to just hear like how did how did it come about, right? Like why did it take so long for a documentary about Juneteenth to to come about, and what and uh, how did it come about? Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it and. I would just start from my own personal journey, as we talked about earlier, you know, being born and raised in Philly, um, Juneteenth was not something that I heard mentioned almost ever. And uh, so like growing up, that wasn't a part of our um, experience because our story was different. Um, Slavery was outlawed in Pennsylvania like 100 years before, you know, the Civil War Mm -hmm. almost. Um, And so uh, people came up to Philadelphia to escape. That was part of the Underground Railroad. And so it was kind of this um, place of relative freedom, not that it it, it didn't have its own racism and, you know, uh, problems. But as far as like the tradition of celebrating this particular day, it was a different experience, um, which was why, you know, I didn't know much about it. But then when I started to learn about Juneteenth and um, especially over the last few years hearing about you know, um, the movement to make it an, a national holiday. Yeah. Um, I began to be really inspired by the story of what was going on there. Like, why didn't like because I had always been told in school that 
the Emancipation Proclamation uh, that was enacted January 1st, 1863, mm -hmm. that Lincoln used that to free, air quotes, the slaves. And so I'm like, wait a minute, two and a half years right. later, there were still people that was in bondage. Mm -hmm. What? Huh? Yeah. And uh, how did that? And so I really wanted to explore that. And then when uh, it became a national holiday, this seemed to be an opportunity for us to think about that um, across the board as a country. Like, how do we make sense of this day that had been a, a key part of Texan culture and especially in the black community? Um, how do we make sense of that as a nation? And how do we make sense of that as a church? And so um, I presented a proposal as a result of um, Lisa Fields from the Jude 3 Project yeah. and I kind of having a conversation about working together uh, with our Daily Bread Ministries and um, and pro presented a proposal to um, our Daily Bread where I serve as a director of content development mm. uh, for funding. It got approved and we had a very short window. Uh, it got approved basically December 2021. We started meeting and planning, you know, February 22, uh, shot in March right. for a week um, in Galveston, Houston and Dallas, Fort Worth. And then put it out in June, which in the context of filmmaking is unheard that's, of. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was it was it was a sprint unlike we had ever experienced before. And um, and the reception has just been really powerful. But, yeah, that was how it got here. And I did notice that there was just not a lot out there, especially that was telling the story from the vantage point of those who kept Juneteenth alive right. into the national consciousness and or even in a, as a tradition in Texas. And so we wanted to honor the people who were at the ground level and whose ancestors were the ones that were emancipated on that day to ask them, why does this matter? And what we saw and what we heard was a story that was inspiring to faith and to help us um, you know, as a church, understand our role. And I think all the things that color commentary represents. So, um, so yeah, it was a really uh, powerful project to be a part of. And it's been really gratifying to see the response to it. Man. Yeah. I, I remember when you were in that, cause you were like, Hey, I'm coming to Texas. Like, Hey, let's get together. You're like, uh, I ain't got no time for that. Uh, cause it's, it's like one week. And, and again, you have to live in Texas or do what you did to recognize how hard it is to be in three different cities uh within a week and actually work in those cities and now galveston and houston obviously aren't that far apart not obviously i say that because i lived i grew up there uh galveston and houston aren't that far apart but then you got to get up to dallas and get to miss opal lee over in fort worth mm -hmm. uh man it's it's a it's a denton hike. we went to you know you out there to to denton, that's right oh my gosh yep. i didn't even realize yep. you went over to denton that's a whole nother either, yeah. that's a whole nother city i maybe part, i missed that somewhere part of the, there part of the piece uh, well no we didn't we didn't really uh Oh, which that was the film that we were there, but that was just where one of the interviews that. Oh, uh, was that Lecrae? Uh, nah, Lecrae was in Fort that's Worth. That's right. He was at the um, Jerusalem Fort Worth. Uh, uh, the uh, brother uh, DJ Cox, uh, um, with the white hair. Yeah. Uh, oh, the long white hair. That was him. So we were sitting in front okay. of the Denton Museum. Um, oh, okay. On the steps for that. Okay. Yeah. yeah I guess I. I guess it's because he dropped in so early in the document document. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was maybe in Galveston or something. Okay. So yeah, nope. you moved around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. yep. My goodness yeah. gracious. Okay. So how did that, uh, from your even personal experience, like how did it? Mm -hmm. How did it? How did it hit you? Like how, how did it? How did it transform maybe your thinking or engagement? Yeah, I think the first thing that hit me was seeing how everybody who I talked to, who were connected to the Juneteenth story, how they how much they knew about their genealogy yeah. and their family history. Mm -hmm. Like, 
growing up, like I knew I could tell you about my grandparents and then it started getting real fuzzy. Oh, mm. what did what did my grandmom say about her parents? It was yeah. like I just didn't know and not and they knew like when their, you know, great great grandfather and grandmother were freed on Juneteenth. And then as a result of that, they moved from the plantation to yeah. Houston. And then from there, that's how we ended up in DFW, or that's how we ended up here in Houston. And I was just like, the connection to their own history was so much uh, more proximate. But then the other thing, and we had known that uh, just from my research ahead of time that the first Juneteenth celebration happened at a, at a church in Galveston that's known as a Reedy Temple AME. Um, but what I didn't know was how much like everybody who I spoke to um, were very much motivated and saw the faith connections of freedom. Like, yeah, the art, my, my great grandma was like, the Lord delivered us from slavery. Like that's what happened. And we praised him because of that. And that was a part of their experience and understanding of their own faith heritage, that there was this um, miraculous deliverance that they got to experience and that inspired and even, um, informed their advocacy for justice and their advocacy um, for continuing really that same pursuit of absolute equality that was the language that was used in General Order Number 3, mm -hmm. which is what General Gordon Granger uh, had written or announced in Galveston that announced the end of, um, of chattel slavery in Texas. Yeah. So the... Um uh, that faith you brought in that faith connection you know to mm -hmm. the, in that community and you know i'm always hearing the voices of persons who might be listening to this and they're like you know what does juneteenth really have to do with christianity with with the faith uh yeah. with jesus and the gospel uh and so you kind of alluded to some of the ways people mm -hmm. were processing uh the news and everything that's going on going on around Juneteenth with with their faith journeys, but what would you say is the how yeah. would you respond to someone who's who's saying yep. hey this is just something else I'll, I'll add this little piece to it as well in that those persons might also come back and say well we got Memorial Day we got you know we got we got many uh, American cultural holidays that we don't particularly tie to Christianity, at least some of us don't. You know? <laughs> I don't know why I looked at you. I don't know why you looked at me either. I, <laughs> but, I hey, you not, know, with the, yeah. with the rise of Christian nationalism, like some people probably may, may be doing that a little bit more in some right. unhealthy ways. Right. But but anyway, that's the general the general vibe yeah. of the, the thought exercise here. You know, in Psalm 90, uh, verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days aright so that we might gain heart of wisdom. And in that, meditation is called a, a prayer of Moses. There's a um, an insight that we should think about our days and reflect on them and see them with a heart of wisdom about what they mean and what they can mean. And so the reality is, I would say that when someone has, when it's the beginning of a new year, when it's New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, what pastor and what church doesn't use that as a opportunity to cause people to reflect on the year to come right yeah. now new year's is not by any stretch a christian holiday there's yeah. no january in the bible right those, those conventions in fact you could say it's named after it's pagan. a yeah. pagan deity right yeah, like yeah. and yet because there's this cultural rhythm that we know january 1st begins a new year 
that that is a in an immediate opportunity for us to we just do it instinctively we you know we journal we reflect on the previous year what god taught us there's themes that people have for the year this is a year for you know my you know you know whatever it is you fill yeah, in the blank sure and and i would say we do the same thing on thanksgiving day right like we go mm -hmm. okay this is a day where i could give thanks to the lord mm -hmm. you know what i mean now for a lot of americans it's not an explicitly faith-based holiday is a day and there's lots of different now you had that origin for some but that's not what most people think of it as now yeah and yet there's an opportunity i would say the same thing for your birthday um yeah. like there's opportunities to be grateful and so in my pr perspective the scripture invites us to think in honor days like romans i believe is it 14 where it's like some, for some day someone yeah. one person doesn't think anything of any particular day. The other person has all these days that they reflect on, like let each one do according to their conscience. And so I think that there's an opportunity that we have to really um, take a, seize the day and say, what are the insights that we can learn mm -hmm. um, spiritually? God, what might you be teaching us through something that honors freedom? Now, in the case of this, where it's not just about Turkey or it's not just about turning up and, you know, fireworks, but it's actually about freedom, something that the Bible is very clear. In fact, there's a whole celebration in Leviticus 25 called the Jubilee yeah. that was all about. And the reason why it's called Jubilee. So we know that there's uh, every 50 years, which actually 2023 in the Hebrew calendar is the year of Jubilee. Mm. So we are currently in the year. Uh, what, what would be the year of Jubilee, mm, according nice. to the uh, Jewish calendar? But um, in that time, every 50th year, it was like a Sabbath. It was like a super Sabbath. Because 40, you know, seven years yeah. times seven is 49. Yeah. So that's seven years of seven. And so the 50th year was this Jubilee. And it was a total um, reset of society. People who had debts would have those debts forgiven. People were, who were in bondage uh, would be set free. And they called it Jubilee because they were turned up. It, it was, was jubilation. Yeah. It was celebration of the fact that a bit of earth began to look more like heaven. And so when I saw that the first early names, one of them of Juneteenth was Jubilee Day, I was like, now look at this. Look at what the ancestors saw and right. connected. Yeah. They saw something in their story of freedom that connected to the story of God's deliverance. And of course, that had happened throughout the context of their American slavery experience. Right. That's why Harriet Tubman was called Moses. Yeah. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so uh, there were these themes that. Um, we're very resonant uh, with them. And I think that in the same way that we can uh, take a day like uh, New Year's or, you know, a, a birthday and think about the spiritual implications of what that means, I think the same is true for something like Juneteenth. And I would say even more so because contrary to those other days, like literally I was went into the first place where there was a Juneteenth celebration. It was a church. Like yeah. there was spontaneous praise that broke out when those Union soldiers came to Galveston to not just announce, but to enforce, um, yeah. you know, uh, freedom and emancipation. And so I would say that that's uh, a great opportunity that's there. Um, that's not to say that people who don't believe can't celebrate it, of course, but it is to say that there's a unique value, I think, for the body of Christ um, that, that can have a corrective as well of pushing back against myth, myths about Christian nationalism and myths yeah. about, you know, um, 
that this American exceptionalism and instead point to something more substantial, like how about spiritual exceptionalism, which is yeah. God. <laughs> He's exceptional beyond anybody and anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think is so interesting, I love that you're you're connecting or at least revealing the connection that the ancestors were making to this kind of freedom. <laughs> right. They were. They were reminiscing on those pieces that in many ways had been, you know, I, I, obviously you and uh, Lisa talked about this in the documentary of, of ways in which that kind of liberation spirituality, right? The uh, stories of Exodus, the stories of Jubilee, those things were cut out of Bibles that were given to slaves, mm-hmm. right? So that they didn't have this, this, they couldn't conjure these, these even thoughts about freedom, right? And so this was, yeah. this was a, a, a way to for them to experience the freedom that they'd already been granted by just being made in the image of God. But there was also this dual freedom, I think, sometimes too. And, and we talk about this sometimes on the show. It's an opportunity. It was an opportunity for those enslavers, right, those victimizers, mm. to be freed from the bondage of sin that they had that they had uh, immersed themselves in, right? And, mm. and it's just like an opportunity. God is like, I'm giving you an opportunity. Like, an, an opportunity to in, to be freed from this. Now, again, some people, and you talked about this well in the, the documentary, some people, it, it actually launched them into a kind of uh, reactive state in which the you know the clan's membership went up during the when the when slavery was over, right? You you saw these people starting to to um, uh, the the lynchings in uh, the Texas went up uh, exponentially after this this freedom, right? And those were folks who who didn't take heed to the freedom that they had been given, the opportunity for freedom and and rightness, if you will, righteousness uh, that God was giving them. But it can be a day, uh, I think, if we if we think about it uh, collectively. As a day of freedom and as a day to mark, as Antoine I mean, sometimes talks about, uh, to mark progress in the American story towards uh, righteousness and kingdom thinking, uh, as opposed to something to be so ashamed of that we erase it from our school books or, you know, recategorize it in ways that are uh, that that are, are untrue. Uh, I mean, does that make sense? Am, am I, am it I... makes a lot of sense. And I would say, just to echo that, um, the Ku Klux Klan actually starts as a reaction to liberation, right. as, as a reaction to freedom. And, um, and I think that that's worth noting that the rise of, of the Klan um, is a, like you said, a uh, doubling down on um a hardened heart like almost like pharaoh when yeah. he initially let the people go and he's like well no i'm not gonna let them well like right. let's go get them and um and that is uh mm. definitely a sobering thing to reflect upon but not just to think about what happened in 1865 right. and 1866 but even today yeah, um the lessons that uh juneteenth holds for us and this was one of the big take takeaways that i had was that the struggle for absolute equality is an ongoing struggle. And even Juneteenth itself, and this is where it can be easy to try to um, to protect one's sense of the way that they want to think about the country or to honor it, to kind of water down what happened. And so even the idea I had heard initially that that people in Texas was just so far away uh-huh. from Washington, D.C. that they just mm. didn't hear. And it was like once the, the horses came and somebody, yeah, some messenger, it, took them two years, it was like, right, oh, yeah, oh. And then they're like, no, that's they had wired telegrams. They, right. were, they was like they, they knew 
They had they Instagram didn't. and TikTok. And, <laughs> wait, no, no, they didn't have any of that. My bad. Nah, but but they definitely had communication to know. And and I think that that is an important opportunity for us. And that's what um, the holiday affords as well. Like in the in you know some you mentioned Memorial Day earlier. Like it's it's Memorial Day. There's a sobriety to it because you're thinking about those who gave their lives for their country in the military. But there's also a um, a hopefulness to it of looking at the perseverance of our our country and 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 against especially against tyranny, yeah. right? Um, and so I think that in the same way, and sometimes that's a complicated story too, because not all the wars were right. just in, sure. in, in itself, right? Yeah, and so maybe we were um, tyrannical in some of those wars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe right. we were the ones that, and and I think that, evaluation. but Memorial Day and thinking about who was lost as a result of that is an opportunity to unpack all of those things. And, um, and it, sometimes it is a tragedy mixed in with a joy and it's a little bit of both. And, uh, and that's part of the human experience and condition. And it's something that God speaks into. He speaks into the both, both the, the grief and the lament um, of what was lost, but also the rejoicing of what has been gained. And I think to move us together as a society is to allow those who were maybe descendants of those who had the privilege um, and the power of enslavement um, and as enslavers, it, whether they were, you know, so basically, you know, white Americans who may or may not, whose parents may or may not were directly involved, they, their ancestors were directly involved with the trade. The reality is the, the, the racist system that we have, right? The the uh, caste system of race in America is very much was incubated and built on that. And there's an opportunity there for Juneteenth to help us reflect on like, wow, look at how mm -hmm. even after 1865 and 1866, there were still struggles all the way yeah. up until, mm -hmm. you know, now. now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, but on the flip side, it gives those who experience freedom an opportunity to say, man, I can, I can lament the fact that why did it take so long? For them to hear why were why, why did it why did they have to hear anything why wasn't they just free um but then on the flip side be like but look at what we experienced and look at where we are now and when, when we have those conversations together and and process together um and allow those emotions and, and feelings to wash over us and then we bring that to the lord he does something with it that is bigger than what any of us can imagine because he can bring about real meaningful reconciliation and and justice today yeah yeah i think uh i, I love all of that i love uh, yeah i love all of that love how you pull pull all that together i think it's interesting that when we think about church history like church history uh is steeped in social social dynamics you know we watch mm -hmm. uh we watch the story of paul you can't read paul's story without reading the society and uh that he was a justices of. or injustices that he's that he's working uh, yep. in and toward and right. pulling um, the churches that he helped to establish toward uh, a kingdom ethic that affects their uh, uh, their participation in those cultures. And as you just go from Paul to now, you can really track the church's participation in social dynamics throughout the whole thing. In fact, you could almost make the case that church history by its, <laughs> by its uh, definition is who has the church been in society over time mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. effect has the church had in societies 
over time and there's for better and for worse throughout that that would be the story of the church as it has had influence in society and uh juneteenth is one of the stories in my opinion it it, it is part of church history in that um so much of what uh led to the conversation around equality for black americans in uh in america is the product of God's movement in the black church uh, mm. and in other spaces as well, but bubbling up and insisting upon the love of Christ and the value of all persons being realized um, in the American society and pushing yeah. um, and pushing that, that ball forward. And one of the effects of that push uh, is, you know, Juneteenth is a part of that story, a part of a whole, canon a whole a whole plethora of stories that comes okay. out of the initial move of God's people realized um uh and participating in God's mission in society around them and changing and undoing injustices throughout it and there being practical and tangible results and I, I think that Juneteenth is one of many stories that reminds us that God is always moving uh, in and in and around our societies in big and small ways, and it's one way to really connect uh, what the gospel says about who we are spiritually and how that really can have massive landscaping effects on uh, on societies. Um, Amen. Amen. I, I think that's fantastic. And and as we as we think about even how the the church has <clears throat> excuse me how it has has moved and engaged in this social construct and uh, social uh, the social aspects that we're talking about here. Uh, I was really, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I was moved uh, watching the documentary because you were, you had a couple of, of, of moments in what would have been my my home church when I was a, a young child, Antioch. Uh, mm. Yeah, we, my family went to Antioch for uh, a little while until we moved. We moved north. We uh, we went mm. quite a bit away, and so we ended up going to church further north. Wow. Uh, but I was so young, I didn't understand, you know, its place. My dad, that's part of the reason why we wanted to go is because of kind of the history of the church. Uh, but again, I never really had much connection to it because I was so young. And so to see you in those those pews, I was I was smelling the smells, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Remembering the images in my mind and uh, and found it fascinating, you know, just again, just that the stories of, of how the church plays a part. Um, and I think maybe that's a part that that I think would be advantageous for us to discuss is like. Uh, we, we talked about in, in some ways how how f how faith uh, played a part in uh, I think the this this situation, but something you, that that Lisa Fields said in the documentary really hit home with me. She talked about the black church, which you know Antioch represents as well as uh, some of the others. The black church is a a reformation mm. of Christianity. And mm. in America, right? Like, or, or it's something to that extent. Like, can you dig in a little bit further yeah. on that? Yeah, no, that was heavy. And first of all, that's amazing that you, you know, I didn't know that you had a connection to Antioch oh, yeah. in Houston. <laughs> and I'm so glad that that really, because that relates to the question um, that you asked about what she meant by that, which also like blew my mind when, when uh, she said it. Um, and it's like, what do you mean by the fact that the church, the black church, essentially preserves authentic Christianity in America. Yeah. And part of the explanation of that you can see is in the Antioch uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Um, so you have Reverend Jack Yates, who 
he learns how to read in Virginia while where he's enslaved with a friend of his who's the son of the slave, the enslaver. Mm-hmm. So the person who enslaved his family had a son. They were the same age. So yeah. they just became playmates. Sure. And part of their play was like they would play school and the white son would teach him how to read. And <laughs> wow. he actually taught him how to read using yeah. the Bible. Yeah. And so Jack becomes in love with the bible and seeing this now just you know then he moved well what he does this is so the his backstory is that when the emancipation proclamation is enacted um in 1863 uh his the person who enslaved him released all of their slaves and they decided to stay in virginia well jack's wife was enslaved by another uh plantation owner and they decided, like uh, many others, to flee to Texas to avoid having to um, release their uh, slaves. And so Jack makes this incredible decision. I mean, imagine this. You're a husband. Yeah. You know, you have 10 kids. They're, they're enslaved by somebody. And you just became free. What do you do? Well, he puts himself back into slavery to be with his wife and kids so first of all what yeah like that's crazy but then he is still being discipled through the word and formed spiritually which clearly that type of sacrificial love where did he get that from that's first corinthians 13. Hmm. and so then when he comes gets to texas and is serving as an enslaved person again until the union army comes and juneteenth comes so then juneteenth comes and he starts Antioch Missionary Baptist Church. The, they, the charter of the church starts January 1st, 1866, literally six months after the end of you know slavery, after Juneteenth right. in Texas. He's, the first thing he starts is a church. Wow. But that's not the only thing he starts. He also starts businesses. He buys Emancipation Park with three yeah. other black yeah. businessmen you know that is, so that yeah. they could, you know, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And that, that space is still there yep. and it's still a rallying point mm-hmm. for African-Americans in Houston. He then teaches them how to read. He starts a school. Jack Yates High School is yep. where um, Felicia Rashad and George Floyd graduated from. Yeah. Right. And so. And it was the incubator for Texas Southern University, the mm-hmm. HBCU that's there in Houston. And so all of this happens because a pastor said, this is how I need to live out the gospel. Now, look at the contrast yeah. between the person who had enslaved him, who also identified as a Christian. That's yeah. why his son was reading the Bible yeah. with what Jack Yates does, Reverend Jack Yates, in not just starting Antioch, planning several churches, plan, you know, starting the school, starting businesses, ho- holding space for African-Americans to thrive. Which version of Christianity looks more like the Gospels? Well, clearly Jack Yates' version. And so what ends up happening is this type of fully formed expression, which now lays the foundation for the Black community in Houston, which is one of the most vibrant in the entire nation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that whole story is an expression of what it looks like for someone to take uh, the, the fullness, the wholeness, the shalom of the gospel, all of what Jesus came to represent, uh, liberation of the soul and spirit, you know, um, by the forgiveness of sins and the restoration with God, liberation of the body from oppression and just because all, all oppression and injustices is just corporate sin. Like mm. it's the same, yep. it's right. all sin, right? But it has different dimensions right. of Collective. it. And so 
the insight that those who were formerly enslaved had that contradicted and that pushed up against the blind spots and the willful um, blind spots that the uh, the church that supported slavery, primarily white church in America, uh, or exclusively, like that, that is the corrective that showed a different and better way. And we see the same thing happen in the civil rights movement, yeah. where it is, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., a pastor who's writing a response in the letter to a Birmingham jail to right. clergy yes. who were chastising him about the way that he was trying to appeal to justice as opposed to actively correcting the system. So that's the opportunity that um, the Lord has given uh, the church. And of course, that other people who are not part, of, even though the black church tradition held it down, praise God that, you know, there are multi-ethnic churches, there are other spaces um, that are keeping that forward. And there are repentant churches who are the descendants of those who justified and even whose wealth was built on uh, that slavery uh, that have recognized that, repented of that, and is not just doing that with words, but doing that with deeds. But it is definitely one of the legacies yeah. that we see in the black church that 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 type of um, of of work of justice and faith integration was something that was a, a part of it from the very beginning. Mm, yeah, and and underappreciated. I think it's an underappreciated story. Like you just laid it out in uh, what probably felt like what three or four, or five, or however long that is. And I think if we had time to really just get into the real nitty gritty around how the black church, how God uses the black church, which, which falls in his tradition of using uh, the underserved, the um, marginalized, uh, the marginalized and those without privilege, those who seem to have very little power and are um, under the boot. Uh, he uses it to say, here is who I really am. And even those who think that they're on the right track it's it's from these marginalized voices where he offers exhortation and judgment and correction not just to um not just to make those people not not just simply from a place of wrath but from a place of justice to, to putting together things to be right to be the way that they ought um to be and um i think it's an underappreciated under talked about aspect of church again back to church history of church history this is this yeah. is this is the act of god moving through humanity and and one of the fantastical not fantastical but one of the fantastic pictures of that movement um with the with yeah the let me say church. let me just add something because one of the things that i think as someone in myself even though i was i came to faith in christ uh, at a black church but then uh, because I got involved with campus ministry and got exposed to a lot of evangelical parachurch ministries, ended up being largely spiritually formed and mentored and, and trained in a uh, predominantly white evangelical context or even with among black evangelicals who had been shaped by white evangelicals, something that Lecrae talks about in the documentary. And I think one of the things that um, I think is hard for me to say, because I, I do uh, appreciate much of what I have received from that tradition, is the fact that, like, even when I use the word blind spot, I tried to put the word willful in front of it, because I used to think it was just something 
that was like, oh, you just don't see this. You just didn't know. And my tradition knew. And so let me just help you. Mm -hmm. But I think the events and the experiences over the last five, six years mm -hmm. have caused me to realize that, you know, when we talk about like strongholds in a family, yeah. like if someone who, you know, uh, you realize, oh, you know, F Papa was a Rolling Stone and his father was a Rolling Stone. And you realize that like, this aspect of fidelity and, and being a family person is something that was passed down like Abraham lying, you know, and saying right. his, that Sarah was his sister. And then you see Isaac do the same thing. Right. Like we see these kind of, and whether you want to call it a generational sin or like whatever you want to call it, there's this aspect of things getting passed down yeah. that become part of who we are. And I think that there's for a lot of different reasons, something more than just the harmlessness of, oh, I didn't know. But I think it becomes very difficult for those to recognize that there's something that has been passed down in the theology and the faith and the practice of, you know, the very churches who are the descendants, the spiritual descendants of those who justified, you know, the horrific, heinous, ungodly, unrighteous, destructive, diabolical, murderous you know expression of the worst form of slavery that the world has ever seen on a global scale and try to baptize it in the name of jesus and put scripture and verse behind it that is a type of um of spiritual hardness of a legacy that needs to be directly confronted exposed uh broken down to figure out how do we not ever yeah. go there again. Yeah, we need to kill all the momentum that yes. that created. And yeah. that takes more than I think what the evangelical church has done to this point. You and know? been willing to do. Yeah. Um, because like and, you're saying, and, yeah, I mean, it just, you have to unpack, you have to, you have to peel away all, all of the theology that was created to support this. Right. right? And right. that's been going for, Hundreds of years, right? I always say from from Jamestown to, to, or excuse me, from Jerusalem to Jamestown, you've been creating uh, this theology that that oxidizes, uh, westernizes, westernizes Christianity and oxidizes Jesus to the point where you have this white Jesus on the, even on a black right. church, even in Antioch, the stained glass window is a white version of Jesus. So it gets it gets uh, permeated not only to white folks but also even to black folks as well. This theology, right? And it's yeah. layers upon layers that allowed for that for. For good, righteous people, if you will, to just go along with, uh, they had to be. It had to be divinely co-signed uh, quite a bit, and uh, and so that's what we're we're having to push against. Right, and so on the one end, I would say to that that there is a need for us to look at that history um, honestly and directly. And instead, what you often, what I have seen when the story of the evangelical support for slavery come out. Either A, there's a defense of the heroes that they don't want to be tarnished right. by that type of criticism, or B, there's an over um, a misappropriation of those who are not considered evangelical in the least, and they're and they're speaking out against slavery, and they just kind of co-opt that, right? So like the Quakers, like the Quakers ain't our people. We don't recognize the Quakers in any other yeah. way as part of our <laughs> But all of a up. sudden, only when slavery but comes up. Like, yeah, the Quakers, or you know, whoever. And so I think that that tendency, and again, that's part of the formation of the identity of uh, even white Christian nationalism. 
But all of that to say, that's the hard stuff. But the opportunity is for films like this to allow us to sit in a different way and to 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 be able to own and express and acknowledge a different reality to be able to hit the reset button because even in the midst of all that and you mentioned jack Gates, the other thing that we kept in the film on purpose was the fact that if it wasn't for white churches that allowed antioch to meet in their congregation raise money that they wouldn't have been able to build that beautiful building in right. the same way that they worked together. Now it was Reverend Jack Ace, don't get it twisted, who was the, the 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 spiritual leader, the visionary. He was the one that did the work, but there was a sense of a common unity uh, that was together that um, that I think gives hope uh, in times where that seems harder to do, but that also meant um, recognizing the struggles that that community had and and being willing to address them. And so I think I think that, yeah, that there is a, a, a powerful uh, truth about the black church's insights about the holistic nature of salvation and justice and righteousness that um, that does, I think, continue to inform you know, our practices. And so I'm, I'm grateful to consider myself a son of all the traditions, right, mm -hmm. of the black church, the evangelical church and and even going back to, you know, you to Jerusalem. I like that from Jerusalem to Jamestown, like going back to the original, uh, hopefully the, the first church is, you yeah. know, and all the ways that they got it right and then learning from all the ways they got it wrong. Yeah. And and what I appreciate what you're what you're saying there is this recognition that it can be it can it can easily go in in, in, a, in an opposite direction where we put too much emphasis on um let's yeah. say the black church right? right as the savior as uh as the one as the entity that can do no wrong but it's also a, a flawed entity in and of itself right i mean uh even you know the theology black theology uh, sans certain things can can be destructive just like quote unquote theology which is white theology uh has been destructive as well and so we have to we have to take it all and bring it all together much like we've been talking about uh the church together and, and i think that's one of the things that i'm i'm most hopeful for uh for the continuation of juneteenth right like we saw when juneteenth became uh, a national holiday i don't know what your uh your socials look like but it was a it was a mix, right? There were people like, "Oh, this is amazing, fantastic," and others like, "Oh, here we go, another black holiday. We got to give all the black people something." Or maybe that was in Texas that they were doing that. Maybe yeah, it wasn't up in yeah. Philly and in, in New York. I don't know how y'all do it up there. Uh, well, I probably all had your, your, your who's in your timeline. Too, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, well, I like to Philly. Keep they might have been like, "What's Juneteenth?" <laughs> like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, and you know, we talked about it. And we circled, particularly from a church standpoint, around this. Do you see this holiday as one that is beyond just a black holiday, if you will? Absolutely. Okay. Like it needs to be um, one of the things that uh, it gives us an opportunity. The same thing with Black History Month. All right. Public service announcement. Black History Month is not just for black people. It's the whole point is that it, it's supposed to shine a light on the fact that why is even it necessary? Yeah. Why was it necessary for Carter G. Woodson to start at the time Negro History Week? It was because he went to Harvard um, for his PhD and literally the person who was the foremost historian in the world said that black people were at the time Negroes didn't have history. Like mm -hmm. said it in class. Right. And he was like, what is he talking about? Nah, I'm gonna prove him wrong. So then he started to gather all of the um, significant 
insights and perspectives and historical contributions that African-Americans have made um, in America, in the world. And, and so uh, that was really the start of Black history. So it's funny when people get into this conversation about why we have Black History Month and all Like I'm like, well, learn the history and you'll see why. <laughs> yeah. But um, in the same way that that's an opportunity now, regardless of how we got there, the fact that we're there for people to be educated, for people to be inspired, for people to be um, just moved um, by stories of, um, of, of perseverance um, and of tragedy um, that caused that was caused by the wickedness of racism. Like all of those things are how we, you know, going back to Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days aright. Why? So that we can gain a heart of wisdom mm -hmm. because these things are still a part of us and are still present with us. The effects of the fall are still all around us. And so we have the responsibility. I love how Sam Collins put it in the Juneteenth documentary. He said, there's been deferred maintenance on the house yeah, like of America yeah. and, our, and the current generation is, is that our name is on the deed. Yeah. So this isn't just about throwing rocks at people or saying, oh, if it would have been me, I would have been different. No, this is about saying, let's look back to get context for why the things are the way that they are today, or at least that contribute to them so that we can work toward better solutions and, and greater empathy and, uh, and greater understanding and, and greater justice. Why? Because Jesus called us to pray, you know, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You may thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I used to think that that was just like some of the requests that God was making that through Jesus to say, hey, just pray that I come back sooner or pray that I yeah. that earth becomes more like me. And then you start to realize, well, wait a minute, this prayer is supposed to be a model for us, not only to just what we say, but what we do. That mm -hmm. the idea of it, like when he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, that's not supposed to just be some line that you say. It's supposed to remind you if mm -hmm. there are people who um, you have not forgiven, yeah. that you ought to forgive like it's a it's a the prayer is an invocation yeah. to action and so that invocation as it relates to um your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is for us to make heaven um come down to earth yeah. through action yeah it's it is not, not passive never going to we're, be where it's, right. it's, it's an active call to say i am submit i am submitted to the concept right. of being which begs of, the question yeah. what am i doing Right. If I'm asking that, that's what I'm, if I'm aligning myself yep. to God's will and aligning myself to God's purpose, then the question is begged. What am I doing to make earth a little bit more like heaven? Right. Not to say that we're ever going to get there. Completely, right. But it's the activity. But, but it's why God just didn't just snap Zap his fingers and, and just. Yeah. Like there's he still is working out the, 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 the great commission, um, the great commandment and the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply, fulfill the earth and subdue it. Right. And to basically be makers of culture that point people to the goodness of God. And I've seen that through this film, which we've been selected for about six different film festivals, including yeah. the Dallas international film festival, which they had the film be the headliner for and start the entire festival yeah. last year. Um, Cleveland international film festival. We won a student choice award. Uh, and all of these places are secular spaces, yeah. but they are inspired by this story. And look at what happens when 
the church stands up and says, this is an important story to tell. And this is an important thing for us to look at. And I think that that's the opportunity that we continue to have to be a model for others about how do we navigate through these spaces? How do we shine light? How do we fight for justice and truth and do it in a way that's still expressing in, in the, the love and the wisdom of Jesus? Yeah, I love that. And again, still living in this this sort of construct conversation about who who is Juneteenth for. Um, you know, I think the idea again, we, we as you've unpacked, it's not just for Black people, but there's there's a place, and I know Antoine, you've you've talked a little bit about this. There's a place for for white people to connect to this uh, in terms of the story that's being told, the continual story that's being told, right? I mean, am I going to have to unpack that for you, or are you, are you, you can no. unpack No, oh, I, I, I didn't know if you, yeah, well, <laughs> what we're, it's tied I'm to. i to set him up, and he's just yeah, looking yeah. at me like, well. well I was going to let you go ahead and no, go it's with your it. thing. I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> no, well, my thing is that we, you mentioned it earlier, like the story, the progress, the American story, of uh, of what America says it wants to be, which is in some ways pulled from Christian ideals. Um, the progress toward that is is like a relay race where you're really passing on progress from one from one generation to the next. And um, unfortunately, the conversation that we have now oftentimes is polarized. And when white persons see the black portion of the story they can only see it as a condemnation on themselves. And I like to say, instead of that, you're a part of the progress as well. It's what, it's what you were saying, Russell. Like, there's there's a lot that um, uh, the church in Houston was doing on its own, but with the help of the white churches there, they're able to move so much further, you know, and the story of the American the American story. So it's, it's this concept that instead of being ashamed of the past, right, instead of looking at Juneteenth as a, as a way to um, look back and say, oh, man, I am a terrible person. This is a, this is a statement of how bad white people are. I think it could be better served as uh, an inspirational story of progress. And in that sense, it isn't so much a Debbie Downer as it is um, we are no longer that way, but we still have uh, much more to go. Let's honor the legacy, even of white Christians in the past who got on board with this and continue to move that legacy forward. And and that is an inspirational, uh, aspirational way to uh, approach Juneteenth. It doesn't require one to feel all the particular shame and, and all the things that mm. sometimes come with conversations around race. Um, I think because of that shame part, it, it, it causes us to causes white persons to want to just completely distance themselves from the conversation altogether. Uh, and it only serves to frustrate the progress made by yeah. the generations that are gone before us. It's 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 we're on our way to 100 and we're at about 30, 40, 50. Let's just keep let's just keep, keep passing the baton. Let's just grab the baton. And now it's our leg right. and we're going to run our leg Forward. now. And um, we can talk about how hard the other legs were up to this point and what we learned in sure. those legs. But we've got so much more to go. And we can do that together with black, white and otherwise, you know, uh, all, all persons, especially as we begin to realize this American dream, if you will, of 
justice and freedom and equality for for everyone. So, uh, yeah, I do try to do that. <laughs> to be honest, most people, it doesn't feel like it's ultimately received all that well. <laughs> I, I, people are here and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they begin to check out. But I really do think that um, it, it, it doesn't need to be a shame conversation. You don't have to hide history. Yeah. You know, you can you can build on history and, and I want to uh, just see it as a progress. Yeah. And I just want to add quickly to that, too, that this isn't just a white and a black conversation as well. Yeah. Like um, one of the things that is wild. Did y'all know that there's a, a town in Mexico that celebrates Juneteenth and has been doing it? No, I did not, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Cemento, not Cemento. I'm not. I don't come down here and be in Texas a little longer, bro. I think that's <laughs> yeah. Nascimento. There it is. No, there it is. There it is. Um, but in any case, um, I won't get into the like the full backstory, but essentially, um, there was a you know, there was a time when obviously Texas yeah. was part of Mexico, and when the uh war was going back and forth. Um, there were a group of there was like a southern underground railroad of people that were mm-hmm. escaping Texas slavery to Mexico to be free. And that community of black people uh, stayed in Mexico. And then when they heard about Juneteenth, they celebrated, too, because their people hey. and their family on the yeah. other side of the border um, was uh, were free, too. And so that has become a bit of part of a Mexican culture. But even beyond that, um, what we found is that, you know, this experience of freedom and equality and justice is something that everybody has benefited from. Like it wasn't just black people that benefited from the civil rights movement. There's right. no yeah. coincidence that you see the immigration laws change right. in the 1960s that were racist right. and that kept, you know, non-white immigrants from Asia, from Africa, from yeah. Latin yeah. America out until those rules were changed um, that allowed a flood of uh, immigrants to be able to come in um, to uh, to just be even uh, level the playing field of who you know uh, of of who could even be here, let let alone um, anti discrimination laws. And so, you know, I think that there's a opportunity, regardless of if you're white, black, Asian, Latino, you know, uh, native, uh, biracial from another country, and you're just here. Um, you know, uh, that there's something for everybody to learn from this story and to be inspired by. Yeah, it's almost like it's if I can say it, it's, it's, it's the true independence day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where, you know, the, the, to some extent and the final, the, the final, uh, well, well, things that we explain in it too right. is that June 19th wasn't the end of slavery in America. Right. It was just, um, you, you know, uh, you still had the, uh, the 13th amendment, um, yeah. for, that's true. That's true. you know, and all that, but it is, still valuable for America to set aside a day to say, we're going to acknowledge this part of our history and this part of the celebration that a key component of our history has kept alive. And we're going to create opportunity for us as the land of the free and the home of the brave to recognize when we became a little bit more honest about that description and and that becoming reality. And so there that makes go. it patri- that makes it patriotic. Yeah, it makes it makes it a patriotic um um holiday yeah, because it's right, moving yeah. toward that uh that idealistic patriotic. patriotic yeah, Miss Opalee uh, says I recommend celebrating freedom from June nineteenth to the fourth of July. July. That's right. She's the whole set. <laughs> you know, yeah, and kind of as we kind of get to the end here, it's it it actually goes right into 
the sentiment I think that sometimes gets thrown into the Juneteenth, which is happy Juneteenth. Uh, and I remember uh, I, I posted that once and I had a white friend is like, can you, can we say happy Juneteenth? You know what I mean? Cause of what it, you know, kind of what it represents. But I think that that's, what's so good about this conversation and what's so good about the documentary is, um, you know, I think, I think if you break things up that, you know, we talk about this like simple, complex, simplistic uh, in the simple form of it, happy Juneteenth. If you don't really know much about Juneteenth, it's, it's very simple to say, right? Happy Juneteenth. Keep it moving. Um, and, and that's kind of this, this surface level of, of dealing with the holiday. And sometimes you are, you even get uh, tempted to think of it as somebody else's holiday. Cause it's, again, you just understand the surface, but what you do in your documentary uh, is you break down the complexities, right. Uh, of, of all that was going on and what it meant, uh, not just for um, the, the, the African slaves, uh, for the slave owners, uh, what it meant, uh, even uh, again, spiritually, uh, sociologically, um, you know, we talk about even here in the show, we talk about this freedom that really comes to everybody, this freedom from sin, this freedom from being an oppressor even. Right. Uh, and, and there's so much complexity in the understanding of the story of Juneteenth, what it all meant. And I don't think you can really enjoy fully the Juneteenth, right. To, until you understand the complexity. And then it goes from being simple to simplistic, which includes now the complexity. Uh, and so now saying, once you understand that ha- saying, Happy Juneteenth has a has a deeper meaning to it, right? You're able to bring the the rejoice with the lament, and I think that's the true definition of what shalom actually feels like. Hmm. It's a recognition of what's beautiful and what's going on, but you can't, but you enjoy it because you know the opposite of it. You know hmm. the the way it used to be, and so you can you can live in that that tension of of the of the lament and the and the celebration. I think Juneteenth gives us an opportunity uh, to be able to celebrate that and say Happy Juneteenth and experience the possibility of on that day of what a shalom feels like. So, mm. so I appreciate you creating uh, this documentary for uh, not just the church, but as you mentioned, it's a, it's a great tool uh, even outside the church for those listening, obviously secular environments are, are picking it up. And uh, if I can't make it to, you know, threaded uh, screening of it this weekend, uh, how can I see this? Like, how can I experience this? So how can people kind of engage with, with the documentary themselves? Is there a way? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be with, you know, you and Antoine. (laughs) Um, I would say that the, this is a type of film that's best seen in the community and together with others. Right. Which is why I think coming to Threaded is great. But if you can't make it, uh, we have a couple other options for you. I'll go with number one. It will be screened on uh, local PBS stations Mm. across the country, including K-E-R-A yeah. um, in Dallas yeah, um, on June 19th at uh, 9 p.m. The next day at 3 a.m. if you were late oh, riser. Okay. The, next, uh, the next day after that at 10 p.m. on the 21st. Now, are you talking Are you talking uh, Central Time or Eastern Central. Time? Central. Are these all Central Okay, times? cool. Just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it'll be on PBS so you can even organize and, and have some folks watch it that way. That's good. But we, you can also go to our website, experiencevoices.org, and click on the Juneteenth button. And from there, you can actually... Uh, sign up to be a host. Mm. You fill out a licensing form. Uh, there's an optional licensing fee you can have as a do- donation of $100. Nice. Um, you don't have to uh, do it, but that helps us continue to tell stories like this. And we will actually give you the film, like the MP4. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, and marketing material to help you get it out. And the reason why 
is we want if folks want to create their own event, you know, like what you guys are doing, um, we want to help people be able to do it. And so you can do it that way. Uh, or you can just classic YouTube. It is on YouTube. <laughs> you shouldn't even tell them about YouTube now that you told them these ways that they could get it. You know what I mean? But I understand well, people sometimes yeah, just go hunting. Yeah, yeah, down, yeah. You know? I mean, right now they're like, "Yo, I'm ready. I'm in. Give right. it to me right That's now." That's fair. That's fair. Um, and so you just go type in Juneteenth Faith and Freedom uh, on YouTube, and you can pick it up that way. You can also get it. Um, the there's a you know it's embedded in the uh, Experience Voices website. Also, don't forget about the uh, documentary. I mean, the uh, album. Don't forget about the album, oh, right, uh, the Juneteenth album. Faith and Freedom, the official soundtrack. Mm. Uh, we are actually releasing a deluxe version this year oh, my. with some new material from a incredible artist named AI, the Anomaly. Mm. Uh, she's going to be releasing a single. Uh, we got some extra bells and whistles, so stay tuned for that. You, All of it will be on experiencevoices.org, so you can go there. You can follow us on our socials at Experience Voices. You can follow us on our socials at Experience Voices on um ig uh and facebook or odb voices on twitter so please follow us show us that love mm. let us know what you think and like let's keep the conversation going and then one last thing is yep. there's also because we're our daily bread so we got to yep. have a devotional right right so we have a 10-day devotional that you can also sign up for either digitally or you can get the physical copy and uh you can and continue to engage in the story that way man that's that's good info so many ways that people can um really come around this juneteenth moment and participate in it um not i'm not going to say passively that's not right the way to say it, but be able to participate in ways that uh that may be a little bit more accessible and so uh, i appreciate you guys creating all those different uh, opportunities to do that so uh, so good, man. Well, thanks for being again, like, you know, like we said in the beginning, you're kind of like the a, a third co-host, right, coming in here. So <laughs> appreciate you coming in. I, I know that Antoine and I love having you on the show. And, uh, and you know, for all of those who are out there, right, we were continually trying to bring in ways for you to be able to see through different colored lenses, right? Uh, and this is an opportunity for us through a historical uh, way to, to be able to do that. So it's a good thing for you to remember as you go out into the world and stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation organization. To find out more about Threaded, check out wearethreaded.org. And to join the show for live recordings and other events, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out at coloredcommentary.com.